1: What is your absolute favorite infomercial? That is the question for this segment here on the Colleen and Bradley show. 651-641-1071. We want to know, does it slice? Does it chop? Does it cut through steel like butter?
0: Does it julienne?
1: Does it shred? (laughs) Does it dry?
0: Mm, Does it spin?
1: Does it whiten your whites? Mm -hmm. Does it, uh, Yeah. Does it do all that stuff? 651-641-1071. Holly, why are we asking the question, what's your favorite infomercial?
0: Well, we're asking this because Ron Popeil... The king of infomercials passed away yesterday, and we wanted to honor him. Yes, may he rest in peace, Ron Popeil. And he passed away at the age of 86, but that got us thinking about our favorite infomercials because in the previous segment, we listed all not even all of the Ron. products. No, I think he probably
1: just got through like a handful.
0: Just a handful of products. And infomercials are very comforting. They air late at night. In a vulnerable place for many of us. Maybe we're going to sleep. Maybe we have been up too late. And well, we're in the twilight hours, you're comforted by the Showtime rotisserie chicken and barbecue. Oh,
1: I want to talk about that. But first, let's get right to the phones because we've had Kevin patiently waiting to share his favorite infomercial with us. Kevin, thank you for calling. What's your favorite infomercial? Probably by far the Showtime Knife Set. Ooh, I do not know the Showtime Knife Set. Tell me about it. Well, like you said, these infomercials were mainly on late at night. And when I was younger, of course, used to be quite the night owl. So I would stay up and watch these things. And I I would once in a while throw them on YouTube just for fun, you know, like uh, nostalgia. Oh, for sure. So this was like, um, it was probably like a 25 or 30 piece knife set. So it was one of those times where he would say, wait, there's more, wait, there's more. And during that hour, it was like. 25 or 30 times he would say that but I'm very familiar with his infomercials. Always a fan. Well, thank you, Kevin, for sharing uh, your favorite infomercial with us again. Anytime. The uh, Ronco Showtime Knife Set. Thanks, Ron- or Kevin. Alright, we are talking about our favorite infomercials of all time. Let's go to Linda. Linda is on the phone. Linda! Hello! What's your favorite infomercial?
0: I'm not sure if this qualifies, but I'm going to go with the Chia Pet. Sure, that totally can count. Okay. It goes, goes. so what about the Chia Pet do you find especially compelling? Well, I have a quick story. I was joking when I told my husband I wanted one for Christmas one year, and by golly, if I didn't get one.
1: And what kind of, was it the original traditional Chia Pet, or was it like the... uh, um, like a
0: Scooby-Doo yeah. head. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like a little sheep or some yeah. sort of an animal. And it it actually does grow. The little chia seeds grow and it blossomed on my windowsill. Oh. <laughs> it was a riot, actually.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Linda.
0: You're welcome. Bye-bye.
1: All right. We're talking about our favorite infomercials. And I will say of the Chia Pet, isn't it delightful that at once that was like a infomercial gimmick and now we put that... On our food
0: now, it's a health food.
1: Yeah, we're eating
0: plants. (laughs) Yeah,
1: like I don't know which was more ridiculous: do you say that itself, or the fact that we're eating it?
0: Do you say that every time you make a smoothie? (laughs) Chia,
1: Holly. Before we get to the next caller, there's one particular infomercial or Ron Popeil invention that seems to be a winner with our listening audience. At least the ones that are sending messages on the MyTalk app. Do you know what that is?
0: Yeah, because I get the emails. It's the pocket fisherman, which I learned. <laughs> I okay. So, Grant, are you familiar with the pocket fisherman? Oh, are yes. you? Oh my goodness! Have yes. you used one?
1: No, I've never. I mean, I've seen the infomercial, but I've never used one. No, absolutely. Not. So,
0: this is a little device that. Is exactly what it says to be. It's a little fishing lure that you can keep in your glove compartment in your car. You can literally put it in your pocket. It comes with the lure. It comes with a little place for your bait and tackle and all that kind of stuff. I know no fishing terms whatsoever. But several people said that they actually really loved using their pocket fishermen. Who knew? Who knew, right?
1: I just love the idea that you're like, I'm driving around and I'm like, hey, you know what? I just, I'm going to go fish. Oh, thank God I have this pocket fisherman in my glove box.
0: That is so great. Look <laughs> now at if this. only I had bait. Well, he but provided wait, that. There's, there's more. more. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that Ron Popeil sold was the caviar bait. Apparently it's the best fishing bait that you can have ever. So you get your pocket fisherman out, you get your caviar bait out. So you're carrying
1: out. around bait in your car just you know for those moments when uh, a body of water presents itself stocked with you know omega 3s
0: look bradley you always want to be
1: prepared <sighs> i love it okay let's go to liz she's on the phone and been patiently waiting you guys if you're just joining us we're talking about our favorite infomercials liz what's your favorite infomercial the floby the floby tell us about the floby so when I was a kid, my mom worked nights, so we watched infomercials all the time. And it was literally a thing you hooked to your vacuum hose, and it would suck your hair while it gave you a haircut. Did you ever have a Floby, or did you just love watching the infomercial? I convinced my mom to get one for our dog. We had a very <laughs> hairy dog when I was a kid. Okay. And um, it did not work. Oh, no. It the crap out of the dog. Oh, no. Oh, I'm no. sure, because you put it on the vacuum, <laughs> right? So the dog was probably, yeah. what's going on? Yep. I love it. Liz, thank you so much for the Floby uh memories. In fact, we were just talking about the Floby a couple months ago, thanks to George Clooney, were we not, Holly?
0: Yeah, because George Clooney said that he was a fan of the Floby, which uh, I think is a total lie. Thanks a lot, George yeah, like, Clooney, for that.
1: And I hey, think he was know. trying to be like, I'm just like you guys. I'm just
0: like you. I cut I use my hair to
1: you. <laughs> and none like, of oh, us. Yeah.
0: Nobody uh, does that.
1: We're not doing nobody that. Nobody does that. Um, no. no. Holly, I have to ask you, so now I'm going to get personal. I hope you're comfortable with that. I didn't prep you in advance. Mm -hmm. Um, What infomercial do you absolutely love?
0: I want to throw it back to the George Foreman grill.
1: Oh, sure. Yes. The George Foreman grill.
0: Lean, mean, fat-reducing machine.
1: Did you actually have a George Foreman grill?
0: Oh, yeah. That is an infomercial product That I actually owned.
1: And does it live up? Because I never had a George Foreman. That was never on my list.
0: It works. It's functional. But I think it's one of those things.
1: It works.
0: It does. The George Foreman grill works. But it's something that looking back, it's like, You know, you could have just had a cast iron skillet and you would have been just fine. Don't be afraid of fat. Fat's good for you.
1: The thing that I love about infomercials is they make you think that there's a problem that needs to be solved and then they solve it. What they don't tell you is that they reverse engineered the problem after they had the product. Yeah. (laughs) Although they would have you believe that there's always like this origin story. And I think that's what Ron Popeil, which, by the way, is why we're talking about this, because he just passed yesterday. But he was sort of the you know, the be all and end all of, of infomercials and just needing something you didn't realize you needed. You know, they had all these delightful origin stories for like, well, I was just sitting around and I thought, I wish my eggs would be more, uh, homogenous when I go to scramble them. Cause I don't <laughs> like little bits of white in them. Yeah, so I'm And suddenly make- <laughs> you're buying this like thing that you have to stick an egg on and whir up the inside of the egg when I don't know, fork
0: yeah, but the fork Anyone? doesn't get it even, Bradley. If you watch the commercial for the egg scrambler, you would understand this.
1: Exactly. But what I'm saying is they—that that is the thing that I love about this is that you don't need that. That's like the flex seal when they have a boat cut in oh, half. Oh, yes. And, and magically the you need- like flying on the boat. You need to put a boat back together. You're Let's like, flex seal. You're like, uh, if cannonballs shot out the bottom of your boat, look at this. And you're like, <laughs> I will never need this. Or I have the five-gallon bucket with a hole the size of a baseball on the side of it, literally just put some flex seal on the side of it what who has a hole with the bucket a bucket with a hole and in why it? would you drive around with a big flex seal patch when you know get, i don't know get a real patch
0: yeah i'm in front of a giant dolphin tank how can we get them from not escaping yeah. it's like
1: you know if they did this for like the me, you know the, the medical system and they're like <laughs> you know i've got this wound
0: just you know flex seal it flex seal it for anyway, the low low payments of
1: that's where we're headed, kids. Uh-huh. Let's go to Shirley. Shirley's on the line. Shirley, what is your favorite infomercial? Hi, Shirley. Hello, hello. What's your favorite infomercial? Well, this was. It brings back memories of my mom. Um, at one point, she was one of one of those clap on, clamp off, um, yeah. like you know, like lamps. Yeah, the clapper. And she would sit there and clap her hands till they were black and blue. <laughs> Finally, my dad came over one day and just kind of raised this little lever and it had never it wasn't even turned on, which is why it never would work and so after that she she was so frustrated, she just threw it away. Oh my god, I love it. Oh. So she didn't even get the benefit of her clapper. No, I, I don't know if she didn't like that my dad showed he was smarter than her. She sat there clapped her hands until they were black and blue. Oh gosh. Thank you, Shirley. That's hilarious. Poor mom. Didn't Poor realize mom. You just the dumb to turn thing it on. wasn't on. Oh my gosh. All right, Monica's gonna be the last word. Monica, what was your favorite infomercial?
0: Uh, pretty much all of them. Yeah. I think. Um I in the nineties I had a roommate. We used to get really, really, really baked. Yeah. <laughs> and we would wake up in the morning um not realizing what we had done. And we would I, like a couple days later, I would have all these packages at my house, and I just remember ordering what was it called the, the magic egg pod or something is a microwave egg and you would just put a an egg in this little weird domey looking thing and you put it in your microwave but it would always explode anyway i must have ordered that thing like six times and just i would never remember it
1: <laughs> oh my god i love it so you were doing the thing that like i will do now sitting in my bed on amazon where i'm like i think i really need this thing and you wake up the next morning like did i i didn't order that did i but we would have so many. It was ridiculous. And, and it would be the both of us. And so it was just, it was, anyway, I stopped smoking pot. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, congrats. Yeah.
0: Positive your, life your choices. Wallet,
1: I couldn't afford it. <laughs> your wallet thanks you. Monica, thank oh, you so much. That thank was you, a delightful Monica. last word. Now,
0: if you You're still welcome. want the egg pod, it's available at tryeggpod.com. You simply <laughs> I, have. I think I'm good. Oh, good. Oh, thank you.
1: All right, um, from the egg pot, I don't even know what the egg pot is.
0: You simply add water, place your egg, cook in the microwave, and shake the egg
1: pod, and the shell
0: slides right off. Okay, all right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When we come back from all of those, and by the way, again, thank you, Ron Popeil, for a wonderful life of innovation at a reasonable price. When we come back, still gross, Sam Lutfei. Find out what the former bestie of Brittany has to say about his old friend when we come back right here on My Talk 107.1. He's still gross, and no, we are not buying that he's here to help Britney by releasing old voicemails that everybody already knew about. Stop trying to get clicks with old news, Sam Lutfi. It's not helping. Good afternoon, and welcome back to the Colleen and Bradley show here on My Talk 107.1. I'm Bradley. That's Holly. Grant is with us today. Guys, Sam Lutfi, we know him. We don't like him generally. Right. Um, Holly, can you just remind uh, listeners who maybe have forgotten a little bit of what a Sam Lutfi actually is was kind of
0: Sam Lutfi still is Sam Lutfi. But at (laughs) one point in time, the reason that we're talking about him is because he served as Britney Spears's manager from 2007 to 2008. That is an important time frame in the Britney Spears timeline because that was when uh, a lot of stuff was happening concerning Britney Spears uh, that ultimately uh, led up to Britney Spears being under a conservatorship, which she has been in since 2008.
1: Now, this story came about in courtesy of an exclusive over on page six, which actually we don't need to decipher or pretend to understand where this story came from, because as page six says, He was or they were exclusively told by Sam Lutfi as he has reappeared because he has shown himself after the documentary came out and kind of said, I let Britney down. Yeah, and I hope she doesn't hold this against me. Kind of like at the moment that everybody started running towards Britney, realizing people that were involved with Britney back in the day that maybe were mm, maybe not working in her best interest, but now see that the tide has turned. Uh, in the public narrative, and so are running towards Brittany to be like, "I'm helping. I was always helping. I loved her. I, I love wanted my to support sister. her." So he showed up and he was like, "I let her down. I'm a horrible person." Well, then he talks to Page Six on Wednesday and says, "I leaked these voicemail messages again because I already re- leaked them in the past, but I reposted them now on Instagram because uh, it's bringing attention."
0: Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is
1: Chris Jenner,
0: LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends.
1: Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Free Britney movement. Quote, says Sam Lutfi, of these messages that he reposted. They were all left on my phone. And he's talking about... Um, messages that were left back in the day and there I guess he broke them up into four different categories and it it really doesn't I don't understand the point of what he thinks he's doing but essentially these messages show Brittany not wanting to be under the thumb of a conservatorship so essentially providing proof to what we already all know sure based on Brittany's own words
0: it seems like he's just trying to provide primary sources To show that Britney Spears has really never wanted to be under the conservatorship. But ultimately, are these primary sources that we need to hear that need to be released in the public?
1: Well, it does feel a little mansplaining. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but you have like these are Britney's words. But thank you, Sam. We've already heard from Britney herself in the modern day Mm -hmm. in the current context. Right. Right. So I don't know that we need these old posts, which we already knew about. To make a point other than to attach yourself to her, which seems like probably not the most helpful thing, as it's been indicated, you have not been helpful to her in the past. Meaning, so for example, one of these posts says, I want out of this conservatorship. I've been blackmailed by visitation with my babies by the conservatorship. I'm confined, restrained, and stripped of my civil rights, and I demand the state of California to review this case. That was 2009. To your point, she just said this. Why are we hearing this again?
0: Right. Well, I don't think that this is even really about Britney Spears. This is absolutely about Sam Lutfi and how he wants to be positioned in the public eye. Remember, Sam Lutfi talked on the record to The New Yorker. About the lengths that he went to to try to communicate with Britney Spears after she was under a conservatorship. And that even his sister was the one who went into the steam room at the hotel to throw her a phone so that they could communicate. Now, Sam Lutfi has been painted in the public eye in regards to his relationship with Britney Spears in a pretty negative light. Yeah. But in that New Yorker uh, piece, he was kind of, there was almost a little sympathy towards Sam oh, sure. Lutfi you know, being like, oh, okay. You might not be the best person, but was it the right of the conservatorship to block you from hanging out with Britney Spears and being her manager?
1: It's like so many different people in this story yeah. where they're not. And we've said this a hundred times, but we'll say it again because it's important. Nobody's all good or all bad. Right. In the drama, as we knew it up to this point, Sam Luffy was the bad guy. But that was partially because of the way. He'd been painted by the conservatorship, Mm -hmm. which up until recently, I mean, there were a lot of people who always criticized it. But for the majority of the public, they weren't thinking about the conservatorship putting out a message about Britney Spears or the context of the messages they were putting out in tabloids. So the narrative that gets out is that Sam Lutfi is a stalker, he's controller, he's manipulative, he's trying to destroy, you know, he's trying to basically Svengali style, you know, benefit or profit from her success, right?
0: Right. Well, and by releasing these voicemail messages, it's trying to position Sam Lutfi as a person who had always been a champion for Britney Spears and that it was the conservatorship that was doing her wrong.
1: Which is much more about him rehabbing his image, which means it's about him and not Britney. So stop using Britney to make yourself look better. Thank you. Yeah. Speaking of D-bags, when we come back, we have a whole mess of them. creator, lord and lady day bag when we return Thank you Grant and you know the world is always surrounded by celebrities behaving badly which is why we had to create a whole segment about it here on the Colleen and Bradley show good afternoon by the way I'm Bradley trainer that's Holly Roberts along with Grant and now it's time for Lord and Lady Diva
0: presenting Lord and Lady
1: douchebag
0: of the day
1: Holly, who is your bag of D?
0: I've got a publicationship Bag of D this <laughs> afternoon.
1: Oh, okay. Which ship that is a relationship for publicity, do we get to poke fun at? The
0: Easy target, Bradley. It's Shamila this afternoon.
1: Shamila. Hey, Grant, do you remember what a Shamila is? No. No. You don't? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> me, uh, You've been Shamila, around.
0: Shamila. So, publicationship names, a combination of the yeah, two know, people yeah. in a publicationship.
1: So, you know, Shila? No, no. Sh- and Amila. Amila. No. Mila. Mila Kunitz? Amila. Uh, Camila Cabello? There Yay! you go. And who's the chef? Oh, I don't even know who she's dating. Oh, I just man. saw a TikTok of them together where they're finally passing gas in front of each other. Sorry.
0: Ding, ding, ding for you, Grant. Is that
1: what it's about? That's yeah. what
0: it's absolutely about. Sorry. No. I mean to step
1: on your parade, but I saw that this morning
0: when I was flipping in bed. No. Yeah. Please. You are not raining on my parade. You're not even farting on my parade because Camila Camillo and Shawn Mendes have already done that for us.
1: So what you're saying is they're your D-bag today because they tooted. Please tell us the story. Huh?
0: Well, and it's not that they tooted Bradley. Everybody toots.
1: Everybody toots.
0: Feel like there's a book with that name. It's the fact that they blasted it on TikTok <laughs> for all of us to consume. I see
1: what you did there.
0: So this video is on Camila Cabello's TikTok. So the video was shared on Instagram, and Camila Cabello recorded herself waving goodbye to Shawn <laughs> Mendes as he stepped out of the room, and then she lets out a sigh of release, and she lets one loose. Oh. <clears throat> mm-hmm. She captioned this video. That first phase of dating when you can't fart or poo or be a human. But then Sean Mendes decided to comment on it because what is a celebrity relationship Instagram post if the significant other doesn't comment yeah, it on especially it? Especially
1: if they're blue checks.
0: Exactly. Sean begs to differ. He commented, but you do fart, though.
1: <laughs> oh, God, this is, like, the most genuine relationship I've ever, like, wow, seen. Wow,
0: they're so relatable. Camilla Cabello farts. But I have a question here on their publicationship timeline. Yeah. I'd be very concerned if Camilla Cabello has been holding it in for two years. I mean... <laughs>
1: Are you saying you're supposed to be holding it in for two years? Uh, oh, well, no. that's why
0: I'm really concerned about this yeah. timeline. And why like that
1: the, barrier is crossed pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah.
0: yeah why this publationship thirst trap doesn't work because it's so obvious. I think that all of us here, the three of us, have been in relationships that have been longer than two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what
1: you're saying is this is old news.
0: Yeah. This is old news. This is news. dusty,
1: dusty old news. Yeah. That they're just manufacturing for clicks and likes and... Was, did you say TikTok? Yeah, this yeah. was
0: TikTok and then posted on Instagram. <sighs> and then everybody chimed in and was like, ah, ha, ha, oh ha, my God, ha. Listen,
1: Cupid. I totally relate. Yeah, <laughs> that the one
0: <long laughs> comment. The worst is when they come back in and there's no one else to blame around you. <laughs> oh
1: my God, Holly's not here for it at all. Well,
0: no, because again, timeline. I've been in long term relationships. I've also been in short term dating situations where you are self conscious about those things. Yeah. So that is a real thing, but I'm not buying it with Sean Mendes and Camila Cabello. No,
1: these two, well, also they've been they lived together during the pandemic, as we all did, and I feel like everybody got real comfortable with each other real quickly because we had no option.
0: Yeah, now, yeah no
1: boundaries in 2020.
0: Yes, if Camila Cabello had shared a video of a door being closed and then hearing little noises like pew 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 pew. pew, pew. <laughs> And then out comes Sean Mendes from the bathroom.
1: <laughs> that would be kind of hilarious.
0: That would be believable.
1: Yeah.
0: Because that happens when you've been in a relationship for two years. Yeah. That happens.
1: Yeah, things fly. Things, things fly. Yeah.
0: Things happen in the bathroom. Yeah. Ducks. No shame lots in the game. Lots ducks. Yeah. You,
1: you hear lots of ducks. Mm-hmm. So
0: this is just thirsty. And I just want to advise Sean Mendes but and Camila Cabello to do better.
1: Juvenilely thirsty. Which seems actually right up their alley. Because they're a pretty juvenile-ish uh,
0: and it's fine. If you yeah. want to be juvenile, that's fine. But I'm not buying this. Camilla, you have not been holding it in for two years. No.
1: No. I think you are absolutely 100% correct.
0: I smell what you dealt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you smelt what she dealt. Okay. Um. Can I tell you who my D-bag is? Please, please, please. My D-bag is none other than Paris Hilton. Oh. And I love Paris Hilton, so it it you know pains me to make her my d bag today, but like she is pretending that we don 't know what 's really going on in the world, okay mm-hmm. with a story mm-hmm. that came out now um it 's a story i 'll just tell you this: Paris Hilton on how false pregnancy reports highlight the media 's mistreatment of women exclusive. So Paris Hilton did an exclusive interview with Variety, and it's all about the what it says it was, those false pregnancy reports. So you remember that everybody rushed to say, Paris Hilton is pregnant, Paris Hilton is pregnant, pew, pew. And, and it turns out it was based on a story from page six that just claimed a source said that Paris Hilton was pregnant. Not even an exclusive source. Not even a, like, sources well-confirmed. I mean, it literally just said, a source says Paris Hilton is pregnant. I got news for you. Sources say lies every day of the week. Mm -hmm. The media doesn't run with them, but they did this time. Yeah. Which blew it up into this, like, stratosphere that you don't normally see for stories like that. Well, right. right? People took it seriously.
0: mm -hmm. Page Six reported it. Then other, what we would probably argue to say are pretty fair news outlets, we're going with that story that originated in page six.
1: So that happened. And Variety, one imagines, contacted her to get, you know, the real story. How do you feel about mm. this this uh, pregnancy rumor issue and what happened? And here's what she said. Quote, it's incredible that I can just talk to you guys and tell you all what's happening right away. Instead of the media always controlling the narrative and controlling my story as they have for many, many years. Uh, she said yesterday on her podcast. So you'll remember that right after this story came out that she was pregnant, she flipped on her podcast and said, I'm not pregnant. So she was like on it just like that. Um, and then they go on to talk about in this story that false pregnancy rumors are old practice in the tabloid world, um, you know, and kind of give us a rundown of history. But the conversation that they have with Paris Hilton that rubs me the wrong way is that she acts like we don't all know how publicity works and celebrity works. And Mm. she talks about publicity as if it's 20 years ago when tabloids really did control the narrative. Right. Right. Now, I mean, she understands from podcasting, you control the narrative. So anytime I see a story in headlines, very rarely, it's not that t- tabloids don't lie and have their own agenda, but usually now we know what those tabloids are. So it's like, I don't know, like Radar Online or-
0: Yeah, Hollywood like, Life by Bonnie Fuller. Okay. Right, like- Okay.
1: Okay, Magazine. Uh, or Hello, right? Like, you know when it's just an out and out false lie, like the Inquirer. Yeah. do even know. Is the Inquirer still around? It still is a thing. Okay. Yeah. But um but so many of the tabloids, People magazine, Page 6, Us Weekly. They rely on the celebrities themselves to give them content. So, you know, she basically the thing that rubbed me the wrong way about this article is her like fist shaking at the world of the media the way that it was, not the way that it is, which perpetuates this notion that celebrities aren't in control. When, in fact, I would argue that celebrities have never had more control over their narratives than they have over the last five to ten years.
0: Well, yeah, social media has changed everything. Paris Hilton's commenting on a time when social media didn't exist, when there was an actual legitimate paparazzi problem. Yeah. Because paparazzi made a ton of money taking those photographs. Yeah. Now, Paris Hilton... Has her own YouTube channel. Yeah. Flipping. She She by the way,
1: gets a plug in this piece.
0: Yeah, exactly. Podcast
1: she, gets a plug in this piece.
0: Exactly. She released a documentary about herself via her YouTube page. She's
1: got a Netflix special.
0: She's got a Cooking with Paris television show that's coming out in early August. She is very much in control of her narrative. Yeah. And so, yeah. And
1: paparazzi have, are not following her around in the way without her... You know, driving uh, the bus, so to speak, in a way that that is not the world we live in anymore. It used to be, yeah, and I think celebrities are still acting as if that's what it is, like this caricature. They're they're playing out this caricature because it makes them look like they're on the defensive, that they always have to be, you know, protected from the crazy media. When I want to say, actually, you guys are in control of many of the, you know, media. Um. Brains.
0: Yeah, because even if you do have paparazzi following you, you probably got a hot tip from your celebrity publicist or the celebrity themselves and arranging that because that's the way that it works in the 21st century. Yeah, you know, Paris Hilton is very much a master of her own public image. And you see that in that documentary on YouTube with Paris Hilton. It's actually really fascinating. Uh, but she's very much extremely self-aware of of how she conducts herself and even putting that documentary out there. One could say that that was a very calculated thing. Uh, And the fact that you learn in that documentary, one of the things is that she understands her place in the public gossip sphere and she understands that she's playing a persona Mm -hmm. and she's not going to stop doing it
1: and benefits from the way that the, you know, media ecosystem is set up. Yeah. Understands it, it participates in it, perpetuates it. But celebrities will always have you believe that they're just like us.
0: Which is a lie.
1: Thanks to People Magazine. Us Weekly. Us Weekly, thank you. Um, Thanks to Us Weekly. And that gets our, you know, that pulls at our uh, humanity. And we think, oh, man, yeah, we need to protect them from. It's not to say that there aren't legitimate issues. It's just to say that celebrities are part and parcel of the problem you know, just in the way you and I are the problem in terms of consumers. You know, we like to consume things, so we demand, you know, content. Celebrities are there to deliver it, but celebrities are far more in control of that after not having been for so many years. Yes. Yes. Thank you for coming to our lecture on how media in the 21st century works. Hi. When we return, what? I was
0: just going to say, hope you took notes. There's going to be a quiz later.
1: Yes, there's definitely going to be a quiz. And I will probably not do very well because I don't like standardized tests. When we come back, here's what Holly's watching live. We're going to tell you what Holly's been watching and uh, maybe talk some other TV when we come back right here on my talk 1071 I always feel like I need something to watch because I'm always forgetting what I'm supposed to be watching. Good news. Holly's got some ideas for you. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Colleen and Bradley show here on this crazy, it looks like Mars out there, weather that's going on here in... Twin Cities on Thursday. I'm Bradley Trainer. That's Holly Roberts and Grant. Here's what we're watching live. You you guys watch that television show together, don't you? Team Cobra
0: presents Here's Here's what we're watching live.
1: What you watching, Hal?
0: Oh, Bradley! Thanks for asking. I'm watching a couple of things over on the HBO Max, the Hebo, the Hebo. That's <laughs>
1: like another thing. The <laughs> HBO. Whoa. Yes,
0: HBO Max, HBO for those of you who actually have cable television. So, I've got a couple of things on HBO that I'm really liking right now and uh, if you have them access to them you should go I'm and watch excited. It.
1: I took a uh, break from uh the HBO Max just cuz I didn't have a bunch to watch but now I feel like I'm getting more and more things so thanks for adding to that list cuz now I can uh afford or uh, give myself the reason to afford another month.
0: All right, so I'm going to start with a documentary that just debuted on Friday, and this is part of a new series of documentaries called Music Box coming from Bill Simmons. You might know that name. He's responsible for the 30 for 30 documentaries in the world of sports, but these are going to focus on the world of music, and the first one to debut is called Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and
1: Rage. Okay, Woodstock 99.
0: Woodstock 99. Where were you in 1999, Bradley?
1: (laughs) I was on a couch um, probably watching a lot of cable news and playing PlayStation 2.
0: Wonderful. Well, Woodstock 99 was a music festival that happened in 1999, the 30th anniversary of the original Woodstock. Oh, okay. Yes. So... The timeline Woodstock 1969 that happened three days of peace, love and rock and roll. And legendary. Everybody was there. Everybody was there. Exactly. It was it, it, a defining moment for the baby boomer generation. Well, that concert happened. They celebrated the 25th anniversary of Woodstock with another music festival, Woodstock 94. That was really great. People liked that. It was a lot of fun. It was very successful. So the promoters decided to do Woodstock 99 on the 30th anniversary. And boy, I think they wish they hadn't. It was a hot, hot I vaguely remember this.
1: Was there just, yeah, what was the messiness about this? Because I I vaguely have this notion that it was a mess, Mm. but I don't remember what the mess was.
0: Well, the messiness came in all sorts of forms, Bradley. This festival happened. It was super hot. They didn't plan correctly. This was the music festival. It made news back in 1999. If you remember some of the headlines from your cable news watching, about four bottle doll or four dollar bottles of water being really priced and people being really dehydrated. Oh god! Yeah. So there was that. There was alcohol. There was mismanagement of logistics and planning. There was lots of violence and sexual assault. Oh god! Very aggressive oh. music happening. So to put this in the context. Take yourself back to 1999, and if you were watching cable, you probably watched a little MTV. Oh, the, for sure. Real were, world. Real world, exactly. As far as the music goes, we were post-grunge, right? Nirvana didn't exist anymore. Are we into, like,
1: boy band territory? And-
0: exactly. Okay. We're into the boy bands. We're into the Backstreet Boys. We're into the NSYNC. The Britney Spears' Baby One More Time came out in 1998. Then on the other side of that... <laughs> A counter to that is the new metal scene.
1: Is that like Marilyn Manson?
0: Kind of. Okay. Limp Biscuit. Oh. Fred Durst. Oh. Corn. Slipknot. Corn with a K. Corn with a K, Bradley, not the kind that you get at the farmer's market (laughs) on a Saturday morning. Frankly. So (laughs) this documentary goes into this toxic mess that culminated in Woodstock 99. Mm -hmm. And if you were in that time. I recommend that you watch it. If you want to understand maybe a little bit better on where we find ourselves in 2021, there's definitely a cultural through thread.
1: What did, did you feel like you learned something about that period of time, even though you were, you know, sentient?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it was really interesting to reflect on that time to see how these kinds of things manifested this cultural tension between, you know, kind of boy bander stuff, new metal stuff. It was also really interesting to reflect on how the promoters of this wanted to almost retrofit and force their generational experience onto the youth in a way that perhaps wasn't going to serve their actual audience. They had mythologized. Yeah. Give
1: me an example of what you mean by that.
0: So, Woodstock 1969 we have this image in our minds of peace love rock and roll that it was this really great wonderful moment in the baby boomer generation where everyone was putting flowers in their hair and just kind of walking around naked well actually Woodstock was kind of messy and they ran into a lot of logistical problems
1: yeah so it turns out
0: (laughs) so it turns out it was kind of a hot mess but the reason we don't remember it as being a hot mess is because we got the documentary about a year and a half later
1: Which probably sanitized a bunch.
0: Sanitized, mythologized it. We think about Woodstock. We think of the great music. We think of the hippies in the field. And so they wanted to kind of retrofit this on a different time. 30 years later, we were completely in a different time and place.
1: So it sounds like what you're saying is that there was a lot of unrealistic expectations that people had that they put on this festival right. that never could have been realized so it was doomed from the very beginning at least it do, it was doomed to not live up to that those expectations from the very beginning right like.
0: and the culture had changed in as much as woodstock 99 highly commercialized i mean it, it was corporate sponsorships everywhere in a way that the original woodstock maybe wasn't and then just the the scene was different you know we had all these different bands and MTV was there and, and trying to publicize this thing and then there was also this really just nasty element of of sexual assault and violence and other things. Which,
1: let's be clear, was probably there in 1969. Well, it again, just, we didn't we didn't see those things or allow ourselves to speak of those things because that would not have been appropriate. Well. In, in the context of the moment.
0: Well, right. In the context of the moment. And then even if it was to be brought up, it wouldn't have served the mythology of yeah. Woodstock in a way that would get people to buy tickets. This
1: is the sign of a good um, piece of storytelling. Right. Is that you find yourself going, oh, again, here I learned that, you know, the real world or the real history of the moment is far more complex and far dirtier and more complicated than We were led to believe, which is so like true of so much of our history.
0: Right. And I would love if the real Woodstock, the original Woodstock in 1969 had this kind of critical treatment. They dabble into it a little bit, but obviously they're telling the story of Woodstock 99. So it goes through the festival day by day and the escalation of the like the dirtiness of the campsites. People were having mud parties, Bradley. But guess what? It wasn't mud.
1: Oh, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, the porta potty okay. situation was oh. horrific. So people were just slopping around in their own filth, and they didn't even know it, for example. Oh,
1: my God, that's vile.
0: One of the nasty things that was happening at Woodstock 99.
1: So you learned a lot. So How long is on. this experience?
0: It's about an hour, 40 minutes, so it's just one feature-length documentary. And this is
1: part of a series?
0: This is part of a series called Music Box. It's going to be on HBO Max. I'm not sure what the next installment is going to be, but if you want to revisit 1999 with a critical eye, definitely go watch this on HBO Max.
1: All right, we will do it. Thank you for the recommendation, Holly. Always fun to have a good documentary experience. When we come back, speaking of movies... What's a movie that genuinely shocked you the first time you saw it? Oh my God, they didn't! 651-641-1071. We're going to be talking about movies that shocked you the first time you saw them. When we come back right here on My Talk one zero seven one.